Welcome to Choate's Litigation Updates, a podcast series hosted by our trial attorneys covering current litigation strategic issues in life sciences, financial services, healthcare, consumer products, and private equity. Welcome back. I'm Jim Vint, a Managing Director at Secretariat, and I have the privilege today of speaking with Christine Savage and Adam Bookbinder, partners at the law firm of Choate, Hall, and Stewart in Boston. Both Choate and Secretariat have been spending an increasing amount of time advising clients on whether or how to continue to use ad tech and web tools on their websites, given the ongoing regulatory scrutiny and plaintiff's activity. Today, we want to continue our discussion around ad tech. In episode one, we defined what ad tech is, how it operates, and what it is used for. We posed the cliffhanger question to Christine at the end of, why do you think ad tech risk should be on your client's priority list? So let's pick up there, Christine. Why is that? Well, the answers there are a number of reasons. Focusing for a moment on healthcare and the why is it on the priority list now, as many of our listeners may already know, there were a number of articles in an online publication called The Markup in 2022, which highlighted concerns that hospitals and later telehealth companies might be transmitting detailed health information to social media companies and internet browsers or platforms who in turn were using that information for purposes that individuals may not have known about or fully appreciated. And we know that those articles have spurred action by both the Office for Civil Rights within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Federal Trade Commission, not to mention uh, plaintiff's class action firms. We've also seen a number of states impose new abortion restrictions or bans following the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs, uh, which in turn has raised concerns that interested individuals may try to purchase or access health data that's been stored on mobile apps or transmitted to third parties via web tracking tools. These could include things like menstrual cycle trackers, uh, geolocation services that tag someone as being at or near an abortion clinic, or their internet searches seeking reproductive health care services. Um, and that these interested individuals may do that in order to reap the benefits of civil bounty laws, or in the case of law enforcement, to impose criminal or administrative sanctions on patients or providers. Even the president has remarked about these concerns in his most recent State of the Union address and via a recently issued White House national cybersecurity strategy. Thanks for that. Before we get into the various regulatory bodies you mentioned, Christine, Adam, maybe you can spend a few minutes on the buildup to today's environment around ad tech and web tracking technologies and the risks of class action suits. Yeah, Jim, happy to do that. So the focus on uh, the use of ad tech tools uh, really started with a handful of these class action suits that were filed against hospitals in 2019. At this point, several of those cases have settled, others are continuing. And the claim in those suits was essentially that hospital websites were sharing with Facebook and Google in particular, information about what visitors to those hospital websites were doing, were looking at or doing on those websites. And those suits caught the attention of journalists, as Christine mentioned earlier, who wrote a series of articles in uh, 2022, last year, about ad tech tools sharing data from healthcare websites with Facebook and Google. That media coverage led to another series of class action suits that were filed starting in late 2022 and continuing really through this week. And those have been filed generally under state wiretap statutes, some in Massachusetts, others other states around the country. But they've generally been in states that prohibit intercepting communications unless both parties consent. And the claim in those cases is that website users haven't consented to Facebook or Google 
intercepting their communications with the website of a hospital or other healthcare provider. Many of these states in which the suits were filed have uh, statutory damages for wiretap act violations, Massachusetts among them. And those statutory damages, if applied for each website user, can quickly add up to many millions of dollars. Now, so far, these suits have been filed primarily against hospitals, physician groups, and health insurers, but we anticipate them spreading to other healthcare-related entities and then well beyond healthcare. Because under these wiretap acts, the data that's being transmitted or intercepted doesn't have to be covered by HIPAA or even be sensitive. Certainly, though, the damages arguments are more persuasive when you are talking about sensitive information. Thank you. So certainly not new, but definitely gaining momentum. So getting back to the regulators, the HHS Office for Civil Rights, or the OCR, issued a guidance document on December 1st, 2022, entitled Use of Online Tracking Technologies by HIPAA-Covered Entities and Business Associates. Christine, why is this guidance a big deal and who does it cover? It's a great question and I'll take the second part first just to set the stage. So the guidance applies to covered entities, which means healthcare providers, insurers, and clearinghouses who engage in electronic healthcare transactions. And while this is somewhat of an oversimplification. Basically, if you bill insurance carriers for your services or you interact with insurance companies, you're likely going to fit into the category of a covered entity. Um, So covers the covered entities as well as their business associates. So vendors or contractors, which could include lawyers, accountants, software companies who provide services on their behalf and who receive, create, or send protected health information on behalf of that covered entity. Uh, It's a big deal because this marks the only guidance on this topic from OCR in the more than 20 years that HIPAA has existed. And because, frankly, it threw a number of curveballs that the industry and their counsel, speaking as counsel, didn't expect. So, you know, it is important to note this is a guidance document. It doesn't have the force of law. But that said, it does represent the enforcement agency's current interpretation of the law and gives us a good sense of how the agency will treat certain uses and disclosures of information using these tools. You mentioned curveballs. Can you give a couple of examples of what those might be? Sure. Um, First, OCR has taken a very broad view of what types of pages or searches on a website implicate HIPAA. And while most of us assumed or knew that use of these tools behind a patient portal login or post-registration for a service might carry risk, I think most of us also assumed that use of tools on an unauthenticated or open to anybody in the public domain kind of website was low risk or no risk because there either wasn't an expectation of privacy or there wasn't an established covered entity patient insured relationship. However, OCR's guidance clearly takes the position that web pages that address specific symptoms or conditions such as pregnancy or miscarriage or that permit individuals to search for doctors or schedule appointments, even if they don't have to enter credentials to do that, implicate HIPAA. And as a result, OCR would say that the use of web tools on this type of page should largely be restricted to limit sharing that information only with third parties who've executed a HIPAA-compliant business associate agreement. The second curveball, I think, is really that the guidance makes an assumption that someone who sends, 
individually identifiable health information through a covered entity's website or mobile app is someone who either has received or will receive healthcare services or benefits from that covered entity. We know as a practical matter that many visitors to hospital or other provider or insurer websites aren't patients or future patients. They may be friends or family of a patient. They may be potential donors, someone looking for general scientific or health information or job seekers. So while we believe this interpretation is flawed, it nonetheless is OCR's current position and we have to treat it seriously. Now, what about clients who use these tools, but say they anonymize IP address or they don't store it um, or they have a cookie policy that people can opt out of? Are they safe? So I think if you asked that question a year or two ago, the answer might be different than the answer I'm going to give you now. OCR takes the view that back-end anonymization or agreements to remove and not further use protected health information are legally inadequate. They say that the collection of the information by third-party tracking technology constitutes a disclosure of protected health information. And furthermore, they've specifically stated that it's insufficient for a vendor to agree to remove information from the information it receives or to de-identify protected health information before they save it. They've also stated that privacy policies and cookie or tracker opt-outs aren't sufficient on their own uh, and make clear that OCR won't permit the disclosure of protected health information through tools simply by informing somebody that you're doing it or by allowing users to opt out through use of a cookie banner and several choices. I also understand that OCR has sent letters with some pretty onerous requests to providers on this topic. What can you tell our listeners? Well, you're right. Beginning sometime last year, OCR began sending out letters to hospitals and other providers requesting detailed information about their use of web tools, any business associate agreements they had with web tool or advertising vendors, their privacy policies, and potential data breaches as a result of those web tools. The requests are several pages long and without negotiating limits on them. Uh, It could take a provider months to respond to the request. So has there been a resulting explosion in breach notifications as a result? So not yet. There have certainly been some large and notable breach notifications, including Novant, uh, who apparently had web tools sitting behind their portal login, and Cerebral, a telehealth mental health company. In particular, Cerebral recently reported that information including things like name, email address, date of birth, mental health self-assessment responses, and treatment information may have actually been transmitted to third parties like Google and Facebook. What we haven't seen yet are covered entities reporting breaches where the information transmitted amounted to an IP address along with having conducted a search on a particular health condition or symptom or looking for a particular doctor, for example. Got it. We started this session highlighting a number of regulators. What about regulatory enforcement for companies that are not covered entities or business associates? Do they not need to worry? Sorry, but there's uh, actually definitely cause for them to worry. In addition to the class action lawsuit risks that Adam mentioned earlier, The Federal Trade Commission, for the first time, enforced its 2009 
health breach notification rule just this February, um, and they've continued to announce penalties and settlements with additional entities. It's quite possible that FTC will utilize its authority to investigate or exercise civil fines and penalties against others who have healthcare information, people who aren't covered by HIPAA, so pharmaceutical companies, device companies, other life sciences companies. And it's also worth remembering that the FTC also has responsibility for enforcing certain Gramm-Leach-Bliley provisions, which include those that protect certain sensitive financial information. So information collected by a financial institution while providing products or services that identifies somebody and otherwise wouldn't be publicly available. So the fact that somebody applied for a loan or a credit card or a debit card. Uh, So companies in the financial space also need to take heed of this uptick in regulatory activity. Thank you for that. Adam, coming back to you, can you round out the enforcement activity with discussion of recent activities at the federal level by the FBI, Department of Justice, and state's attorney general's offices? Sure. Uh, starting starting with federal law enforcement, there are um, inquiries going on by the Department of Justice and FBI. In fact, FBI agents in the past six months or so have shown up at several hospitals that we're aware of asking uh, anyone they can find about uh, the use of ad tech tools on the websites. Now, I would suggest that that's not a particularly productive way for law enforcement to get information about something as complicated as this, but it certainly did cause a lot of scrambling at those institutions. Our understanding is that what Department of Justice and FBI are doing is really just an inquiry at this point. They've read uh, the press coverage that others have read, and um, you know they're they're interested, but there are not formal criminal investigations going on that we're aware of. Uh, but what they are looking into is whether there were intentional HIPAA data sharing violations, which can be criminal. Our hope and and expectation, frankly, is that they'll realize that these are novel, tricky questions here. They're really not appropriate for criminal investigation. But even the possibility of a criminal investigation is certainly of great concern to hospitals and other institutions. At the state level, AG's offices are also looking into this uh, situation. They have authority to enforce HIPAA regulations as well. And several of them have asked about ad tech tool use on healthcare websites. Again, our hope and expectation is that they will defer to the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, uh, Office of Civil Rights in this area, but it's certainly possible that an AG's office could proceed even if HHS declined. So final question, Adam, uh, what should companies or other institutions be doing to address the risks we've been discussing? Jim, that's a good question. And that's what we'll be focusing on in the final podcast in these series. So uh, stay tuned uh, and we'll be back to discuss that shortly. Great. I want to thank both of you again for taking the time today to help our listeners understand the actions being taken by the various regulators and class action attorneys around ad tech use by healthcare entities and other organizations. For those of you looking for a more in-depth discussion of these issues, we will be joined by additional colleagues for a one-hour webinar on April 12th. You can sign up for it by using the link in the announcement for this podcast. For more information, please visit www.choate.com. You can also listen to additional podcast episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.